Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in Dallas, Texas. Yep, that's where the Suns are going to start the season tomorrow. But yesterday they announced the signing of Thaddeus Young, 35 years old, 6'8", 235-pound winger, 19-year veteran. He comes from Toronto where he was bought out, averages five points and three and a half rebounds a game. There to provide some depth, and he's a depth, <laughs> and he's provide some depth, and he's expected to help out the Suns coming up tomorrow night when they start the second half of the season on the road in Dallas. I got to tell you, I'm a little thrown because I think I broke my toe walking in here. <laughs> it's kind of messing with my head right now. U of A introduced new AD Desiree Reed Francois. When asked why she would leave an SEC school, she said, "It's home." Just quite simply, it's home. I talked about, uh, you know, I got a little bit emotional on at the podium because it, this is a heart move. This is a move uh, that I know what the University of Arizona can be. We'll see if she can get it there. They, their next game, basketball-wise, is home against Wazoo for the Pac-12 championship regular season-wise, and it's tomorrow night. Tori Lovello announced a little bit of a slow play for Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. They're going to start spring training schedule on Friday as a team, but both pitchers will wait one week and two weeks. Gallon will start in Goodyear on March 1st, while it'll be another week after that before Merrill Kelly gets the start on Friday the 8th at Salt River against the Cubs. This is horrifying. The Kansas City shooting. A man has been arrested, Lindell Mays. Here's how it started. He was upset because someone was looking at something he didn't want them looking at. That was it. Mays and three other people came up to the person and argument started. And of course, if you don't like the where someone is looking, you start shooting. And a DJ is dead. NFL calendar franchise tag window is now opened. And next week starts the NFL combine in Indianapolis. NCAA football, the 5 plus 7 models officially accepted. What does that mean? Take the five highest rated conferences. Their champion gets in the playoff. Rank the top four teams of conference champions, one through four. Then pick up seven other teams, rank them, and throw them in, and now you've got a 12-team playoff. Also, two years from now, conference tie-ins are dead. So therefore, the New Year Six Bowl game Rose Bowl will no longer be tied into the Big 12, or excuse me, Big 10 and Pac-12. My toe hurts. Hoops news. NCAA Executive Director Charlie Baker told ESPN that they're looking into expanding the NCAA basketball tournament. Plus, huge upsets yesterday. UConn got smashed on the road at Creighton. Number 11, Baylor lost on the road at number 25, BYU. Number 19, San Diego State lost on the road to previously ranked Utah State. And two close calls, St. Mary's and Texas Tech, barely beat USF and TCU. NHL favorite son of Scottsdale is returning. Austin Matthews comes to the league or comes to Tempe with 49 goals. Look 
looking for 50 at his real home. And finally, a man and a dog created a ruckus in a Scottish pub. What did they do? All the guy did was feed his dog, but look at the lower left corner. He tied the dog up with his leash to a boom fire extinguisher. (laughs) The dog was excited to get his next snack. When the dog jumped, it pulled the cord of the fire extinguisher. And then everybody except one was forced to leave the bar. One guy, because it is Scotland, had a full beer, so he sucked it up and didn't worry about all the new extra foam. (laughs) Unplugged army? Attention! All right, admittedly, that might be a little bit over the top, but I'm jacked up for our next sanctioned event at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're going to be there on February 23rd. It's a Friday. Noon is the official time for our first set of tee times. We've got the whole course from noon until 1.30. You got to go to unplugged at whirlwind.com. Click on the events tab. Normally playing golf in February at Whirlwind is $260. But thanks to Sweet Lou, we get the course for $109 plus tax. It is a tremendous savings and it's only available to those of us in the Unplugged Army. If you're not able to make it, I'm going to be eating kind of a late breakfast there around 1030. So I'd love for you to stop by Civilic represent or maybe get a beer with me right after the event is over i'd love to see you friday february 23rd at whirlwind golf club at wild horse pass feel the wind i'm janelle general manager of bell's nashville kitchen aka the whiskey wizard bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food we are a scratch kitchen with chef inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of arizona our nashville hot chicken sandwich now the drinks I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. This time of year is absolute murder on your heating and cooling system in your home. Call Parker and Son, 602-2-REPAIR. Get a complete checkup. Here's why. You know what it's like this time of year in Phoenix. One day we've got 85 degrees, the next day we've got a high of 50. You're going from heater to air conditioner, sometimes in the same day. Get a checkup to make sure the routine maintenance is taken care of. Join the Parker family plan. Call 602-2-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Didn't bring my little bottle of a leave in my backpack that I normally walk around with. Oh my gosh. There is nothing, nothing in my mind more annoying than a broken toe. And I, it hurts like crazy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and on your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rouse, the Rising, and the Burke. 
This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwood Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. There is, this is, first of all, you have to understand uh, me a little bit before I tell you this story. If, if you're, ow, if you are talking about breaking a bone, I've never had a compound fracture or anything. But if you're talking about breaking a bone, I don't mind looking right into the camera and, and telling you, I don't care what sporting event you've seen, as long as it's not like Joe Theismann grotesque. I am one of the toughest people you'll ever meet. And I don't care how arrogant that sounds because sometimes the truth hurts. I have 29 broken bones. Now, some of it's like one toe that was broken in three places. So sometimes it's a bone that broke multiple times in, in one you know, injury, something like that. But I, I played high school sports and I knew I wasn't a great athlete and I knew no college was going to give me a scholarship. So I knew my career was ending when high school was over and I wasn't going to miss out. So if I broke something, I just kept playing. I didn't care. So when it comes to broken bone injuries, I'm a gamer, but I have to turn on myself and admit, I don't know what it is. If it's stomach pain, I am the biggest wuss. Oh, my tummy hurts. You know, I, I just laid up. I'm the biggest wuss in the world. I can't stand it. I just shut everything down if my stomach hurts and lay on the couch and whine. Okay. So, you, you know, I can tell you how tough I am, but then I have to admit to you in other things, it's, it's ungodly how big of a wuss I am when it comes to anything intestinal, uh, anything digestive, any, uh, just uh, that stuff. No. And I love the human body. I love learning about the human body. But when it comes to something digestive, I think all of that's gross and I just can't stand it. Well, anyway, we uh, the the, uh, CEO, Chris, has decided he has turned this into an obstacle course. And it's kind of a fun little game you play every morning going over cables and lights and stands and stuff like that. Well, I came walking in and there's I don't even know what this big metal bar thing is that's on the floor uh, along the wall. So I come in and I just trip right over it. And I have four broken toes now. And one of them is the one that jammed in there. So I either rebroke it or just hurt it really bad to where it's a lot more sensitive because I never allowed it to heal when I broke it the first time. So since it's not healed, if I bang it real hard, it just throbs like it was rebroken. So I don't know if I rebroke it or not, but it's, it's turning colors and it hurts like crazy. So. That was a good way to start. I'm pretty. That's why the four minute offense had a lot. The mind was kind of jumping around a little bit there. Hopefully you couldn't tell as much other than me laughing at myself. Went to spring training yesterday and uh, and really. First of all, before I go any deeper, Izzy, how are you? I didn't even say hi yet. Uh, how, how's your life? Anything thrilling happened to you uh, during the day? Of, how, how is your uh, uh, feet? Did you break anything this morning? Uh, no, no, okay. I'm 100% healthy. Okay, good, good, good. So you, you, you've recovered from the bounce house trampoline trip. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Are you feeling young again or? Oh, I'm determined to go back. I'm oh, determined to go back. Yeah. You know what? Just don't go with your cousins. Just show up. 
<laughs> just just show up and say, no, I need this time. For, I need some me time here. I'm, yeah, I was staring at that, that what, $30 membership. Yeah. I was like, man, I could bounce for free every day. <laughs> like, I was like, I could get back in shape with this. You know, I got to tell you, if, if you do this, I do want you to go without the cousins, but, but, tell, some, but tell one of the workers, will you fill me for a few minutes? And I just want to see other kids bouncing around trampolines while you go everywhere. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and, and you're playing with people that you don't even know. I would find that highly entertaining. That's a video clip coming up on iOS next week or something like that. For me, I went to spring training yesterday, and this was kind of cool. I was there, and I'm allowed to go inside and walk along the um, the infield warning track. You're not allowed. Media is not allowed on the grass, but you're allowed on the infield warning track as long as you stay out of the way. But there's really no reason for me to be there, so I just stand up by the fence. And uh, I'll talk about the other guys that I watched later on in the show, but there's one story that I got to tell you. And I admit I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite. And I totally mean that. And I hate hypocrites. But here's why I'm being a hypocrite. I'm about ready to tell you something that was deep inside. And because it was so positive, I'm telling you. I admit if it was negative, I would feel like it's off the record and unfair for me to expose it. But at the same time... Other people would say, that's not off the record. That was out in the open. That was totally public. You can come forward with it. According to media unwritten rules, I have every right to talk about this. According to my own rules, I wouldn't if it was negative because I would feel like I was eavesdropping and that's not fair. That's not right. But since it's positive, I'll tell you. Well, anyway, I'm standing next to the fence and uh, uh, Luke Lidden from 12 News comes by. So I'm talking to Luke for a little bit about the show, about Unplugged, about the stuff I do on 12 News on Sunday nights during football season, things like that. So we're talking and then he's asking me a little bit about the show, the old show. So blah, blah, blah. So then there's a guy standing next to me, Luke leaves, and the guy standing next to me starts talking to me and asking me about my radio show. So I explain I used to be a talk show host, done and we're talking a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I ask him, you know, uh, about himself and just say, hey, you know what, uh, uh, what's your life story? And he says, I'm retired. Uh, I, used to drive, uh, I used to drive submarines for a living. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I, that's just not something you normally hear. So Dale starts talking to me about being in the Navy. I love stories like that. So I am incredibly intrigued he starts asking more questions about radio and i just finally said well how long have you lived here and he goes about 12 years i said oh i I said i'm sorry to say this because it sounds a little arrogant but have you ever heard of doug and wolf and he goes oh my gosh that's where you're from oh yeah so he didn't recognize me voice wise or when i said my name was doug or that i have a radio show but he kept talking like he was trying to put it together so i thought i'd help him so we're talking for a while And then one of the guys hitting is over and Dave McKay, the first base coach, is done watching him. So Dave comes walking by and Dale says, hey, Dave, can I talk to you for a second? How classy is this? Dave McKay comes over and the two of them start talking for a while. And then Dave looks at me and asks me, how are you? And Dave looked at me with that look that I admit to you says, I'm supposed to know who you are and I can't remember. (laughs) 
Okay, he didn't remember me, and uh, and it's kind of funny because I've texted him a couple times, and we had him on the old show usually once every spring. We had him on the old show, but when you talked, it's kind of funny when you have relationships with people that you don't always see. It's easy for them not to remember what you look like. So I don't think he remembered who I was, but I'm standing there talking to him, and I have a credential on, so he knows. You know, I'm there in a media or some kind of official capacity. So the Dale guy and Dave are talking. I'm chiming in every now and then, but not all that much. Then an an older couple comes walking up and says, hi, Dave. And Dave goes, hi, again, with the look that says, I should know who you are. And the lady says, I'm so-and-so. We were neighbors for all. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they start talking. So Dale says, hey, great to meet you. Great to meet you. Doug, I'll be listening to your podcast. Thank you. And then he walks away. As soon as he said, Doug, I saw the light go on for Dave. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's who you are. Okay. So now it's established. He knows I'm media and he knows where he knows me from. And I'm still standing there. Then they start the neighbors and Dave start talking about all kinds of things kids who's living where who's doing what this person in the neighborhood has done this this is okay blah 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 then what the guy the husband asked Dave so how are we looking how are things going which is always funny because it was yesterday was day two of of full team workouts and they start talking about the world series and the city and everything else And then Dave McKay says this. And like I said, I admit to you, if he would have said something negative, I wouldn't tell you. But he said, I have been for years with the Oakland A's. I have been for years with the St. Louis Cardinals. And this organization does it right. I had to tell you. I was, a, I was really shocked by that. Now, granted, maybe he's saying this because he knew I was standing right there. Maybe he's just being friendly to these two neighbors. But I, I, in my experience, normally, if somebody has negative opinions about an organization, They only say those negative opinions to people that are looking at an opportunity to work for that team. And then you tell them, hey, you need to look at because then you're looking out for a friend. Or I have had people speak negatively to me about an organization they work for because we have had we have established an unbelievably close relationship and it goes beyond media. And they're picking my brain for things that I know about different organizations because they're kind of looking for a change and they're uh, they're really honest with me. But it takes years to establish a relationship like that. Dave McKay and I do not have a relationship like that where he would speak negatively about the Diamondbacks. So I want to be fair and admit, you know, I don't know what his reasoning to bring this up, but he was gushingly positive. The other thing that shocked me about that is his incredible friendship with Tony La Russa. So he is the first base coach of the Oakland A's. Tony La Russa is the manager. He's the first base coach of the St. Louis Cardinals. Tony La Russa is the manager. Tony La Russa comes in in a position that the Diamondbacks invented called CBO, the chief baseball officer. It was a position they put under uh, Derek Hall 
in order to have a better baseball mind between Derek and the front office. And so that was Tony La Russa. Now, Tony La Russa, one of his first moves was to actually hire Dave Stewart as the general manager, to hire Dave McKay as the first base coach, and to hire Dave Duncan as the pitching coach. So that's one of the first things he did, all right? With all due respect, I, I think Tony La Russa was perfect for the CBO role. I think Dave Stewart was a really bad general manager. I have since seen Dave Stewart and Tony La Russa in a cart together, you know, in a golf cart together. So their friendship is going on just fine, even though Tony La Russa is the one that fired Dave Stewart just a little bit of time before general manager Mike Hazen was hired. And once Hazen was hired, soon Tony La Russa stepped down, which to me, you don't have that scenario set up unless it was predetermined meaning Tony La Russa is going to be an extra voice in the room while you're going through the process of hiring a new GM. And yet the new GM would have said, who's truly in charge? They would have said, it's you. Therefore, we're going to keep Tony La Russa around because we do enjoy having his voice. We do enjoy his opinions, but you are the one that's in charge. They agree to it. It takes a while before Tony La Russa steps down, but there was never any doubt who's in charge. It's Mike Hazen. So that's how little scenarios like that work. However, Dave McKay has stayed on ever since. And I think he's the, I don't know what title you win by getting this, but I think he's the greatest first base coach of all time. When you, when you learn all the things he knows, all the things he's in charge of, it's not just should you go to second or not, okay? So this is Dave McKay, very close friends with Tony La Russa. Going to two organizations when LaRusa is the manager and going to one organization when LaRusa is the chief baseball officer. And he's gushing about how well the Diamondbacks are run. And part of the reason why they went to the World Series has to do with the culture that's been created. And then the guy asked a, a question better than most media ask. The husband, former neighbor said, who's responsible for that, Dave? Why would you say that about him? And Dave McKay said, Mike Hazen. It really grabbed me. Mike Hazen was not here when Dave McKay got here. And Dave McKay is an unbelievably well thought of baseball guy, irrelevant of first base coach, just baseball guy. And he said that about Mike Hazen. And he said, every single person in this organization knows where they stand. And, you know, Mike's not shy. If, if Mike has something to say that possibly might hurt your feelings, he's going to talk to you about it. He's not a jerk. He's going to talk to you about it. But there's, there's no doubt he's in charge. And, and he's not a jerk about it, but he's up front. He's blunt and he's, he's, he's right there. And, you know, there's, you know, Mike Hazen can get mad and he's not afraid for people to know that he's mad, but man, things get done and we have direction. I, I just sat there in amazement of what I was hearing because I know a lot of people in that organization and a lot of people speak highly of Mike Hazen. And there were times where the team didn't look very good. And I used to get a ton of emails 
more when I was on air as a, on the old show. But I used to get a ton of emails of about how bad Mike Hazen was at his job and fans wanted Mike Hazen fired. And I, I can proudly say I stood firm and said, no, this guy is excellent at his job. And I admit it had a lot to do with I knew how bad it was before. And I knew how hard it is in baseball that when you take over an organization, it might be three years before we have any idea if you're good. I totally believe in football. We can figure it out in 18 months, whether or not you're good at your job, and sometimes less than that, okay? I, I can tell whether or not you're good a, a good GM pretty quickly in the NFL. Major League Baseball, it takes forever. When you think about how many layers there are to the minor leagues, and how hard it is to get to the major leagues. And that you don't and then you might be right with a guy who has a bunch of injuries, so we'll never know whether you were right. And then there's guys who aren't hurt, but we find out aren't that good. And then how do you overcome it? All of those things. And to hear somebody on the inside just like bluntly talk about Mike Hazen in that kind of positive way, but without pulling punches, saying, you know, we, you know when he's upset, you know he's in charge. But to say that there's a direction, I thought that was a piece of inside information that those of us in, that are fans in media, we're not going to get that kind of bluntness. I mean, I've heard a lot of people tell me positive things about Mike Hazen, but not like that. And I thought that's an interesting story that I should share with you this morning. And I hope you're not mad at me because I admit, if Dave McKay would have ripped Mike Hazen, if he would have said what a terrible GM he is, if he would have given credit to an assistant GM and said, this is the guy that got us to the World Series, and you know Mike is just riding somebody's coattails, I would not have told you something that specific. I would have said whenever it is that was getting complimented, maybe it's the assistant GM, Amiel Salde, maybe it's Mike Fitzgerald, maybe it's somebody else. When that guy got promoted and that guy took another job, I would have told you, I have heard through an incredibly placed source that this guy really held together the front office. This was a glue guy who's great at his job. This move really hurts the Diamondbacks. And boy, the Pirates are set up because they just hired whoever so-and-so was. That's how I try to protect sources as much as possible. Even when a guy doesn't know he's a source, that's how I protect sources. But to hear somebody speak like that about the general, I just thought you needed to know that. I, I thought that was pretty powerful. And, uh, and that was my spring training, uh, spring training uh, story. By the way, I didn't get to tell Dale, the submarine driver, my uh, Dave McKay joke that I, I like to do this. Izzy, you'll probably figure this out just by me asking. But take a guess, who has more high school home runs, Doug Franz or Dave McKay? Wait, your mic's on, so your guess doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to guess Dave McKay. You are wrong. Really? I have more home runs in high school than Dave McKay. And here's the score. It's one to nothing. And it's because Dave McKay didn't even play high school baseball. <laughs> he was actually a major leaguer. This is so crazy to me. He's from Canada, but he didn't play high school baseball, but he played like little league and other leagues. 
didn't play in high school because his high school team didn't have one, and then um, got played like a little bit of independent ball, I think is his story, and then got picked up by the minors and then moved his way up and made it to the majors. But since he technically didn't play high school baseball, and I hit one measly high school baseball home run, I have more home runs than Dave McKay. The only guy to play Major League Baseball, I think, in the history of the game that I have more home runs than in high school. But Yeah, better all-around high school baseball player. Yeah, you could, you could, yeah, exactly. Now, you could tell. Usually, I don't say the one part. And I said, no, I actually hit more than he did. I don't say that I only hit one and he hit zero. I said, yeah, isn't that kind of cool? I hit more high school home runs than him. And then I don't tell anybody the, the real reason of one to nothing. Okay, quick. Let's get to Doug's big one in just a second. I got whirlwind that you need to know about. Uh, Unplugged at whirlwind.com is still open in order for you to get uh, whirlwind plus. So click on the bottom button for more information on how to save hundreds of dollars on becoming a whirlwind plus member. However, if you click on the events tab at the top, it'll let you know that the it's actually closed for Friday. We have, uh, I, I admit, I don't know the reason why. Um, we have tea time set from noon to 1.30. And now that it's closed, I believe that means we sold it out. I believe that's what that means. And there's no more spots. I am so jacked up, Unplugged Army, that you did that. General Josh worked like in order to become a two-star general. He worked unbelievably hard to move up the ranks to make sure some of the spots were filled. If you are still thinking about it, don't be upset, but please email me, Doug, at DougFranzUnplugged.com once you're officially wanting to play, and I will forward your email to Sweet Lou, but keep in mind, you might have waited too long, okay? So I just want to let you know, we might have sold out. The only thing I can guarantee is that reservations the bookings have been closed. So that means you can't use the website to sign yourself up, but maybe if there's room, you can email me and I'll try to let Sweet Lou know if there's any cancellations or if there's any room, how we want to handle it. But Unplugged Army, thank you. Thank you so much for doing so well and specifically General Josh for how much work he put into uh, closing that off. However, just because we're closed for golf does not mean we're closed for happy hour. Here's what's awesome. Trophy Bar Chandler. It's on Queen Creek Road. Look it up uh, online to find a specific address. But, but uh, Trophy Bar has given us part of the patio. So we're going to be out there on the patio. If it's warm, to- they'll turn on the misters. So we've got the patio at Trophy. We've got plenty of room. Please come for happy hour as a sanctioned event. So either Civlik for breakfast, come on the course and play if you've already signed up or head to Trophy for happy hour. I'll be there from about 5 to 7. Can't wait to see you coming up this Friday, our next sanctioned event, to get the Unplugged Army together. I really want to see you there because it just shows an economic power of why people should be with us. And I might be having a heavy hitter as an advertiser meeting us Friday out at Trophy. So I'm excited about that. Um, Maybe our newest sponsor. Not official, but maybe our newest sponsor. If you come on Friday, I'll tell you all about it, but I'm jacked up. Uh, Sound credits today, the Scottish star gave us the video of the dog pulling the cord of the fire extinguisher at a Scotland bar. That is so fantastic. And I got to say, hats off to the guy at the bar that didn't get up. I thought that was awesome. 
didn't even move so that was uh, that was a good deal and the wildcats youtube channel is where we got uh, a lot of the uh, stuff we're about ready to talk about from desiree reed francois uh, i can't think of any other so- oh wait i've given you these sound credits a while ago but we didn't use it and today we plan on using it if you could, Izzy, help me out. The Mike Hazen, did we, where did we get that from? Uh, PHNX, uh, the Diamondbacks page. Okay, and then Chuck was from TNT, right? Yep. And then KD1 is from his own boardroom podcast, right? Yes, sir. Okay, good. We still haven't gotten to that. That's an expectation. That's a demand of myself today to make sure we talk about that, especially with the Suns starting tomorrow. All right, I think that's it. Let's roll. Doug's big one. Doug's big one today comes in two parts. There's really a 1A and then there's subsection 2, okay? But my number one opinion isn't going to take long to to give you. My number one opinion, Doug's big one today, NCAA tournament should never change. And I know it's going to. And I just want to go on the record to say this is again what happens when a bunch of crybaby suits get in a room. And they're about to change it. Charlie Baker is the executive director of the NCAA or the NCAA president. I can't remember his title. He had a long sit down with ESPN and he had this cheesy quote in which he said he's in favor of looking into expanding the NCAA tournament, but it has to be done carefully. What a crock that is. That's a joke. Let me tell you what that really means. What that really means is we're going to look at a giant expansion, something like to 96 teams. And then at the last minute, we'll go, you know what? After studying it, 96 was too much. And we don't want, we want to keep the sanctity of the tournament. So we're not going to really go to 96. We're going to go to 78. That's a good number. That's where we decided that that still means something to get into the tournament. And then it'll explain how the tournament, when it expanded in 1985 to 64 teams, there were only, and I I don't know how many, but there were only 200 NCAA teams at the time playing at the Division I level. Now we have 330. It's only right to include more teams. Blah, 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 blah. No, that's a lie, sir. That's a bold-faced lie. Don't say you can only do it carefully and then just suck up by trying to throw out this crazy number and then acting like you've ridden in on a white horse as a knight in shining armor, saving us from the forces of a 96-team tournament, and you've dropped it down to 80, 78, 74, something like this. That's a lie. This is the continued consolidation of conferences. This is the ignorant fools that run college athletics, such as people that have destroyed the Pac-12, like every single conference or college president at a Pac-12 institution and Ray Anderson, they have destroyed the Pac-12. And with that happening across conferences across the country because of that now you have the 16 and 18 team juggernaut conferences and they're upset that their team might end up going only i don't know something like 9 and 14 in their conference schedule and that's not fair because if they were in a weaker conference they would have a better record so they don't want a team like gcu let's say gcu loses in the whack tournament 
They don't want the WAC to be a two-team conference because the WAC's WAC tournament champion goes, and now you might be sitting with a 25-26-3 GCU team that doesn't get in. And they say, you know what? That's not right to give them two teams and let GCU in when you're knocking out a mid-level major conference team. So therefore, in order to make everybody happy, we have to expand. Here's why this is ridiculous. It's perfect now. The tournament is perfect now. So anything you do to change perfect is dumb every single time. So quit acting like you care about the student-athlete's well-being. Quit acting like you care about the sanctity of the regular season. Don't lie about any of that stuff and then turn around and expand the tournament. That shows you're full of crap, and that's exactly who these people are. So I want to set the stage now. It's not going to be expanded in 2024. I don't know when the expansion of the tournament will happen. But it will happen, and they will lie about why it's happening. Talking about opportunity for the student-athletes. Talking about all of these made-up terms. But then they're going to say, after an exhaustive study, the large number wasn't quite what we wanted. Because that would be... And then they'll lie about that. I'm so frustrated about the suits that destroy college athletics and the politicians that let them because it's all controlled by board of regents and curators and everywhere else in every state. And conference presidents, college presidents, all of these people are destroying the sanctity of the game. Now that I've gotten that off my chest, I did read one guy, John Rothstein one time, that did have one opinion about the tournament that I thought was pretty good. The way the, f- the first four games work in Dayton, Ohio, you have two games of four 16 seeds. You'll have four teams named as a 16 seed, and they play each other to get funneled into the bracket still as a 16 seed. And then you'll have two other games between four big conference teams that barely made the tournament that have to, in a sense, play their way in. That is a team like ASU. ASU almost should buy a cottage in Dayton because they keep going to Dayton for the right, in a sense, to advance to the first round of the NCAA tournament. One way, if you really want to get more of the big conference schools in to appease them, I would make all four games in Dayton big conference schools. No longer is are there six 16 seeds. I would bump two of the 16 seeds up to a 15 seed. I would elevate the conference tournament champions of two spots. Only two extra teams get moved up. And more big conference schools have to fight their way in. That also turns it into teams that have earned the right to play a lower conference tournament championship team. They get an easier path because they've earned it as a higher seed. And the big conference schools that are only 500 or below in conference, they have a harder path. Make it harder. You don't like it? Big conference school? Do better in your big conference. Or leave your big conference. Maybe you're not man enough for that conference and you're in the wrong conference. That's how I would fix it. And that does allow expansion. That does allow four more teams from average big conferences to get in. And then it's problem solved. That's not what they're going to do because A, they're not creative. And B, that's not going to make big schools more money. And 
They're going to lie again, acting like it's not about the money, making it all about the money. That's opinion number one. Opinion number two on Doug's big one isn't quite as important to me, but it might be important to a lot of you. And that is, I think U of A absolutely crushed it. And I think the U of A has completely embarrassed Dr. Crow in Arizona State. And any excuse Dr. Crow gives for why they don't have an athletic director yet, while U of A hit a home run, is another embarrassment to me for Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow is going to spin it and tell us this great reason because someone's going to ask whenever the new AD is hired. He, they're going to ask, why did this process take so long? And they're going to say, because well, we had to get it right. Okay, U of A got it right in half the time. So why couldn't you get it right in that amount of time? Why? That's typical Dr. Crow. So great job, Bobby Robbins. You've made a lot of mistakes as the president of U of A. Quite frankly, I don't have any idea how you still have a job. But I do salute you on how well you hired for this athletic director position. Let's go into a little bit about Desiree Reed Francois. And this is really interesting. I want to thank General Mike for this. He sent me an article. This is one guy's opinion, but it has influenced me somewhat, but not all the way. This guy is called Bernie Miklas. I think I have the name pronounced right. He's a legendary St. Louis, Louis talk show host. And he's pretty well tied into Mizzou. And in an article that he wrote, he explains a little bit of the end around that's been run on Desiree Reed Francois. Now, to talk about her, U of A law graduate, you need to know that, and then was a walk-on rower at UCLA, so a former student athlete. Her son is actually playing basketball at Mizzou right now. He's on Mizzou's basketball team, so it's an athletic family. Then she, in intercollegiate athletics after getting her law degree, bounced around continually moving up. Went from Santa Clara to be in charge of a couple sports at Tennessee. Bounced around a little bit more, always as a promotion, until the point she got to UNLV and was the athletic director. Hired T.J. Otzenberger, uh, uh, I think I said his name right, who was the coach at UNLV who left and took the Iowa State job. Obviously, she crushed that hire because Iowa State's a top 15 team and they're doing fantastic competing with the KUs of the world and the Baylors of the world and doing a fantastic job there. Then she went to Mizzou where she secured dramatic increases in funding dramatic increases in funding and dramatic improvement in a lot of other sports and just recently secured a 62 million dollar donation to missouri so that part of her uh, resume looks fantastic but the question you might be asking is why in the world is she leaving an sec athletic director job for a job at u of a which is a great question Well, Bernie Miklas says that Coach Drinkwitz of the football team was not hired by Desiree Reed Francois, and he wasn't even hired by the uh, preceding athletic director to Desiree Reed Francois. 
He was hired two ADs ago, and according to Bernie Miklas, was hired more by the curators. That the guy that was the old AD two ADs ago sent in the list of the people that he wanted to hire and basically got overruled and Drinkwitz was hired over him. Boom. Now Drinkwitz already has a tie into the curators, the people that run, that actually run Mizzou. Okay. Then she becomes athletic director. And 2021, Mizzou football goes six and seven. 2022, Mizzou football goes six and seven. What does that mean on the recruiting trail? When you have back to back below 500 years in the SEC, that's totally used against you. Every recruiter, anytime you say, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, possibly going to Mizzou, here's what happens. The elite SEC teams, they're not worried about Mizzou. So you're not competing for the same person. But every other school that might be a good school at a smaller conference or a great school at a big conference, but it's not as big as the SEC or other mid-level SEC teams. When they're recruiting the same player, they will say, hey, I would be careful about going to Mizzou. Coach Drinkwater, or, uh, excuse me, uh, Coach Drinkwitz, Drinkwater Road, Scottsdale. Uh, Coach Drinkwitz, he's been six and seven, two years row, Below 500, Coach, the SEC, that's not going to last. You're going somewhere, he's not going to be able to keep that job. So you, you got to know that going in. I wouldn't choose Mizzou because they won't give that guy a contract extension. Drinkwitz hears this, he goes to the athletic director, Desiree Reed Francois, says, I want a contract extension. I think she makes the very prudent decision to say you know what at six and seven and six and seven let's see how you do now let's see how you do before we reward you i understand your pain i understand it's hard to recruit when you're six and seven but whose fault is it that you're six and seven let's get some more wins and then let's talk drink which doesn't take that well remember who hired him again this is all according to bernie mcclass he then goes to the board the curators and says, hey, I need a contract extension. If I'm truly your guy, I know I'm turning this thing around. It was a much harder job than anybody realized. I'm getting us there. Give me this contract extension. They give it to him. So in a sense, they completely run an end around of the opinion of the athletic director. Guess what they do last year? He gets his contract extension. They go 11-2, and and they finish in eighth, eighth place in the country in the final standings. So everything Reed Francois has done looks really good, except for this one thing. Okay. So that looks bad. It does look bad. She's got to know the football coach doesn't look at me as his boss because he'll go right to the curators whenever he wants something. That's a knock against the Missouri athletic director job. Number one, number two, Dave Hickey gets let go on January 22nd. Now, we never know the inner workings of any athletic director situation. We never know. We don't know if Bobby Robbins was so intelligent that made the decision that I'm going to move on from Dave Hickey well before it gets announced and has already reached out to Desiree Reed Francois. Their first conversation might have been through back channels where you reach out to a U of a booster or you reach out to a member of the law school who knows Reed Francois well because that's where she went to law school and says you know what 
Will you ask Desiree what her future is? Would she be interested in this job? Therefore, Bobby Robbins never has to tell anybody, yeah, we reached out to her in January. We reached out to her in in December. We'll never know when the first contact was. But Bobby Robbins can say, we didn't do it until after January 22nd. You need to know about that. February 9th, new news comes out. On February 9th, Mizzou stated that they're going to start a new, quote, intercollegiate athletic special committee. What does an intercollegiate athletic special committee do? They gave them oversight powers to handle finances, progress of athletic facility renovation, NIL compensation, and to an oversight into the future of the NCAA and how Mizzou reacts to it. Basically, everything an athletic director does and usually reports to the school president now goes curator, new oversight committee, president AD. They basically completely took this woman's knees out. Totally. I don't know why, but I guess because she didn't give Drinkwitz the contract extension that, in my opinion, he didn't earn. Now, maybe you can read the tea leaves and say he should have got one and proof is in the pudding when you go 11 and 2, but it is something to look at. I think she handled it prudently. Obviously, somebody didn't. And now you form this committee with that information as the backdrop. Okay. I still think Desiree Reed Francois is a fantastic hire. But whether she just loves U of A, just loves the desert from her time at UNLV, thinks that Mizzou is always going to be a middling program in the greatest conference there is, and therefore it's not worth the fight, whatever her reasoning is, we don't know for sure. But somebody asked a fantastic question. So this is not the first question that was asked of Reed Francois. But late in the press conference, somebody said there's a report that says there's a new uh, oversight committee that is watching your actions as the Missouri athletic director. Did that have anything to do with your choice of coming to U of A? Why are you leaving Mizzou? And uh, Izzy, give me uh, DRF number seven, if you could, please. I came to the University of Arizona not leaving University of Missouri. I came to the University of Arizona because I'm just so excited to come home. First of all, brilliant political line. I didn't come to U of A because I'm leaving something. I came to U of A because I'm coming home. I am not calling the woman a liar at all. That could be 100% the total truth. It could be a situation where she knew I need to get out of Mizzou and suddenly the U of A job is open. And it's like, wow, it could have been they reached out to her a long time ago, but she heard rumblings of this committee starting and needed to get out. And it could be she was involved in the committee the whole time thinking we need another group of people to help me. So therefore, I want the committee here and oh my gosh, I have the chance to come home and that's it. It could be as simple as she said, 
I got to admit, I don't think it's as simple as she said. I totally believe she understood that's a bad job right now at Mizzou. And we say the SEC, the SEC, the SEC. But as soon as you have a football coach that goes over your head, an oversight committee between you and the curators that's going to now watch your every move means they don't trust you, and your former law school's job is open? Okay. I think you are leaving Mizzou, and I actually think you're leaving for a better job. So I'm not calling her a liar because maybe it is. I want to go home. But I think it's a lot more layered than that. Great question. All right. Done with the formal opinion of me for Doug's big one, but let's keep right on rolling since I brought it up and give you more pieces of of this story. And this is a long one. The first one I'm going to play for you is simply the opening. The opening comments. I believe on this show, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, the beauty of podcasts is I don't have to take people out of context. I don't have a commercial break. I've got a hit coming up and I'm forced into something. There's nothing where I have to say, I got a break now. And I like that about a podcast. So therefore you decide whether you like her opening comments or not without me editing and chopping them up. So I need five minutes of your time. If you don't want to hear the whole thing, hit fast forward for a little bit and fast forward five minutes into the presser. If you're listening to the podcast right now and if you're watching me on demand at WTSMTV.com, you can always grab that scroll after about a minute. If you say, okay, I've heard enough of her and fast forward, but I don't want to take her out of context. Here's her entire opening statement to begin her press conference yesterday at U of A. So good good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you to my student athletes for coming. Grace, it was so wonderful to walk in and see you. So just automatically kind of made things a little more special. So thanks for running from practice. Um, so good morning, everyone. First and foremost, I want to express my sincere gratitude to President Bobby Robbins um, and the Arizona Board of Regents for this incredible opportunity to serve as your director of athletics. Your leadership and your vision, you've set the stage for an incredible future, and I'm honored to be a part of it. Reflecting on my journey uh, to this moment, I wish that you wouldn't have come, Dr. Jordan Curtis. Uh, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's amazing to see you, so thank you. Um, I'm reminded of a time in my life that solidified my connection to this university. On September 10th of 1994, my brother experienced a life-altering accident. It was my first year in law school uh, here in Tucson, and amidst the chaos and uncertainty, the University of Arizona extended a compassionate hand, providing support when I needed it the most. I am forever grateful. The kindness that was shown to me during this time, um, and now, during this challenging time, it's my privilege and my duty to give back and help guide the athletic department forward. Leaving behind the incredible people and the community at Mizzou was not an easy decision. The student athletes, I gave birth to one of them, um, <laughs> the staff, the coaches, incredible people, the President Choi and the Tiger fan base, the SEC, Commissioner Sankey are incredible. And I am forever grateful for the experiences and my friendships that were forged there. They will last a lifetime. However, when the opportunity arose to return to the University of Arizona, 
the only place I would have considered leaving Mizzou for, I knew it was a chance I could not pass up. I also would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to my husband, Josh, who's here, and my son, Jackson. Thank you for going on this incredible journey with me. Let's give them a round of applause. We came back to the U of A this May um, for graduation ceremonies, and I was telling Josh and Jackson about my time here, and I reflected back to 1997 uh, when we celebrated a national championship in basketball. I remember how exciting it was when, and I remember how I felt when I heard one shining moment and we saw Coach Olson cut down that net. We're gonna raise banners here. We're gonna cut down more nets, folks. And while these are challenging times in college athletics, you know what challenges bring? Challenges bring opportunities. And I am so filled with excitement for the journey ahead. The championship past of this university serves as a testament to the extraordinary talent, the dedication, and the passion that exists within our athletic program. As we move forward, my vision is to build upon this storied history and work tirelessly towards a championship future. I am eager to immerse myself in the vibrant culture of Wildcat ath athletics as it is today in Tucson to get to know our student athletes and to collaborate with each and every one of you to achieve our collective goals. Together, we will strive for excellence, both on and off the field. We'll foster a culture grounded in our core values, guided by our responsibility we have to provide a championship experience on and off the field of play for our student athletes and galvanized by the reality that a successful athletic program, it brings our state and our region together like nothing else and it propels us forward to unparalleled success. In closing, I want to again express my sincere gratitude to President Bobby Robbins, the Arizona Board of Regents and the entire Wildcat community for entrusting me with this incredible opportunity. I look forward to hitting the ground running. And Wildcat Nation, please know, I will work very hard every single day to make you proud. Thank you, and bear down, Arizona. Got a lot of thoughts on the opening. Number one, I think there's a lot of people that will look at her getting emotional and say something about her being a woman. Uh, I should say a lot of people. I think there are some that would say that. And somehow that's a sign of weakness. And let me be the first person to admit that I'm weak too. Okay, if I'm standing up there as as the newest athletic director, if my dad is in the audience if a woman by the name of Judith Dunlap is in the audience who has a lot to do with how strongly I take my religion, and of course my wife and girls are in the audience, a man named Bill Donovan is in the audience, if those people that have lifted me to the person that I am are there and I make eye contact with them, <laughs> she she did better than I would do. Okay, let's just say that. So I I reject anybody that that questions her toughness because she got a little emotional there. Now I will say, 
I would not turn to my wife and say, let's give her a round of applause. Yeah, like, I thought that was cheese ball. I don't care. So Desiree Reed Francois, yes, I am mocking you for the giving your family a round of applause. I know how you meant it. I would feel the same love and joy and and humbleness for the support of my family and allowing me to rip them out of their family life and move them to another state. I would feel the same emotional feelings you did. I would not ask everybody to clap for them. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You got a $1.25 million contract for five years and I'm clapping because your family moved for it? Huh? Okay. So there's that. There's number one. Uh, number two, I did like how strong she sounded in her commitment and what she expects and how she's going to handle things. And that I, I think she commanded the room and sounded like a leader, but also sounded like a mom. And I think that's a beautiful balance. OK, uh, there's there's just a a beauty to a woman's strength that people that don't admire this, I don't understand why some people act like it's a weakness. You're never going to get that from me. There's, there's, there's a strength to a woman who's a good mom that at the same time isn't afraid. So that's a woman that's standing up there looking like a leader, but looking like she cares. And you can do both. And a lot of times men don't do a good job of that. And I think she did a fantastic job when she was up there. Those are my opinions. Feel free to rip me or support me on Town Hall Tuesday and tell me what you thought of her opening statement. Now, I'm going to jump around the presser a little bit. I'm not going to go in order. If you want to see the whole thing in its entirety, go to uh, the Wildcats YouTube page. I consider it my job to just give you full statements and tell you what I think, but not the full press conference. Like, There's a lot of other things that she said that I, could, quite frankly, didn't care about. But she talked about how the U of A legal school, law school, was there for her in her terrible time of need. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know any story about her brother. And she referenced her brother a couple times. And thankfully, a member of the media just said, we've heard you talk about your brother. What's the story about your brother? Okay, let's see. Uh, the story of my brother. Um, my brother played football at Chabot Junior College. He was a Prop 48 back then, which um, he was a linebacker had bad grades and so he didn't go off to a four-year right off um, right after college and or right after high school so he went to Chabot um, on September 10th of 1994 he was going for um, the record of the most tackles uh, in the state of California at the time he made the tackle he wrapped up his running back and uh, it, he was on the ground and someone just hit his neck and snapped his neck and he became a quadriplegic So, let me look at a, a, a couple different things there. Um, number one, an athletic family with her being a rower at UCLA and her brother being a football player. If you didn't understand when she said he was a Prop 48, there used to be legislation, and it was Proposition 48 of the of of like the recruiting or student code or whatever within the NCAA. But to play NCAA sports, you had to have a certain grade point average and a certain standardized test score in college or in high school. And I thought this was actually very fair. Because some kids are naturally book smart or work real hard in school to get good grades. But they might be terrible test takers. 
other kids might be kind of lazy with their grades or might be taking really hard classes that hurt their grades, but are excellent test takers. So it was an inverted scale where you either had to have a high grade point average and that would allow an acceptance of a low standardized test score. Or if you had a low GPA, you can still get in and play high, uh, college athletics as long as you have a high test score. It's when you were weak in both that they didn't allow you to play at the beginning. So then you're called a prop 48 which meant you either went to junior college and got your grades up and to show that you belonged in a four-year school, or you were accepted into the four-year school as a student, but not yet as an athlete. And then you had to work academically to get your grades up. And when you did that and showed that you could handle a college course load, now you're allowed to play. And that year that you weren't allowed to play sports, that can count as your redshirt year. So you could still have four years of eligibility, but you had to take a redshirt as a Prop 48. Even if you could have played. Even if you're good enough to be a starter on the football team, the basketball team, the lacrosse team, it doesn't matter. You could be good enough to start. But because you didn't have the high school acceptance, you had to prove that you could handle college before you got sports. So that I used to like that rule. They got rid of that rule because they kind of thought that that it could be racist, that they felt like a lot of standardized tests were not being taught in urban schools or they a lot of people judged standardized testing as being a form of of racism that made it harder for some students to be able to handle personally if you want to know my opinion on that i don't believe that at all i don't believe that at all i don't know how a sheet of paper can um attest is racist so i disagree with that but that's obviously a debate for another day Uh, i i don't believe in holding anybody down i I believe anybody can merit their own successes in the greatest country in the history of the world but there have been other examples like redlining from banks and things like that i'm sorry to drift into a history lesson that are great shame in our country and i'm glad those days are gone so but this is not an area where i see i I look at individual situations when i get into this media of a topic hopefully you cared about that history lesson at all but anyway so that's what a prop 48 is so her brother decides to go to junior college to prove his ability to be able to handle a course load and then in the two years he's getting ready to set more tackles whatever that record was that she's talking about and gets kicked in the neck and bam he's a he's a paraplegic i don't think she said quadriplegic that was that was eye-opening and then she talked about how that made it difficult a little bit for her to be able to handle later on she explains that every thursday she would wrap up her law school week and then she would leave friday morning and go to palm springs that's where her brother was doing rehab stay with her brother friday saturday sunday and then leave on sunday and go back and do her law school work I can relate a tiny bit to that. Not greatly, but, but a little bit to that. You might not know my story, but my oldest daughter was a pound when she was born. And then babies naturally lose weight. She went down to, uh, she, she was born at 14 ounces and she dropped down to 12, I believe. I'd have to look it up. Um, but she was that small. She went from here to here was how small she was jennifer had to lay upside down in a hospital for three weeks so every thursday 
I would finish my nighttime drive. I had a drive time talk show in Alabama. I would be off the air at six. Burger King was one of my biggest sponsors. So I had a bunch of Burger King free certificates that they gave me (laughs) because of my plight with Jennifer. And I would go to a Burger King down the street from the station and I would get dinner in the drive through and then I would drive to the hospital in Dayton, Ohio because Jennifer went into the hospital over Christmas holiday and didn't wasn't able to come back to Alabama. So I did that for about... I think 10 weeks, every weekend but one. One weekend, Jennifer came back after she was healthy and Vienna was getting healthier. So for about nine of 10 weeks, and I got to tell you, I was a zombie. I was a robot. I had zero interpersonal skills. I just focused on getting my show done, just doing the best I could do for my show and thinking I'm doing this for my family and then getting to be with my family. And I was just a shell of myself. You just kind of go through the motions of, of trying to just survive today. That's all you do. Just survive today so I can get to the point of being with my family. And I guarantee you that's how she felt. It's so hard to feel important during that time because you're thinking about everybody else. You're never thinking of yourself, but you are piling everybody else onto yourself. And it is, it, it turns your stomach in such a way I could not explain. And I totally feel like she probably went through that same thing. That Monday through Thursday, she's thinking, why am I here while my brother's going through what he's going through? And yet you've got to focus. And then she's doing it for law school? I have tremendous respect for her because I feel like I went through something similar. So that's my feelings on on her. And now it makes more sense to me when she's asked this question, which is simply, why are you here? It's home. Just quite simply, it's home. I talked about and, uh, you know, I got a little bit emotional on uh, at the podium because this is a heart move. This is a move um, that I know what the University of Arizona can be. I know there are challenges, but I know we have incredible support. We have incredible leadership. And I felt like the University of Arizona was there for me when I needed them. And now my skill sets, uh, I believe, meet what the University of Arizona needs at this at this time, at this critically important time, um, when there are so many challenges throughout college athletics, and not only not only here at the University of Arizona, but throughout, throughout the entire enterprise. So it just felt right, and it was an opportunity to to come home. I hope you like this about Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club of Wild Horse Pass, because I can admit, for some people, this is unbelievably boring, going breakdown, breakdown, breakdown of an entire press conference. I get that, but I also, I think that's why people listen to podcasts. I think that's why you watch Doug Franz Unplugged on WTSMTV.com, because I do go deeper. That isn't right for everybody to do that. And, and, and I don't have, you know, the largest podcast following in the history of podcasts, probably because of decisions like this. But I I think this is a way to give you information that nobody 
out there gives. Some of you that are ASU fans, you're like, what are you done with this? I get it. But I was really impressed with her, and I want to give her as much credit as I possibly can, and especially that story about her brother. Um, This is Dr. Robbins now. He was simply asked, hey, why her? When did you reach out? What was the process? Did you hire a search firm to find Desiree Reed Francois? There was not a search firm involved, but uh, as I said in my remarks, um, the regents uh, have been very supportive of going out and uh, and finding an absolute world-class talent that we did. We found the best person that I think uh, fits our culture, understands our culture, and has a proven track record of success. I talked to hundreds of people around the country. Um, talked to many different presidents, uh, corporate leaders, donors, uh, other athletic directors, coaches, uh, people from the business community, uh, and that led us every time to Desiree. So I'm incredibly grateful that you said yes, and you're bringing your talents back to Tucson, Arizona. Basically, the very next question, and we'll go right to it, was, okay, you know about the budget constraints, you know about the terrible financial deficit U of A athletics is in and U of A as a whole is in. Uh, Desiree, how do you handle uh, that situation and what's your plans to fix it? No, no. Uh, in terms of how we're going to turn it around, we are challenges or opportunities. I said that in my opening remarks. And what we're going to do is we're going to fit, we're going to dive into that budget. I talked to the all departments, uh, the staff yesterday, and we talked about priorities that we have for the kind of first couple months. And one of those priorities is that we've got to dive into that budget and figure out where we are, where there's opportunities for growth, do some data analytics, look at where do we compare with the rest of our Big 12 comparators. Um, and then kind of if there's when where there's opportunities for growth, then we're going to figure out how we're going to do it and let's look at our protocols, look at our best practices. It's the same thing we did uh, at Missouri as well. Um, I haven't met very many athletic departments that say, hey, we've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it. So this is not a, a problem that's incredibly unique. But what we have to do is just be very diligent in our approach and very thoughtful. Let's listen and let's learn and let's analyze and put together the best plan and move forward. I realize a lot of people could have said the exact same thing, but to me, there's a directness to her. And I like her line, challenges bring opportunity. Basically, are you going to be able to handle it? Can you rise up and handle the challenge? If you, if it wasn't hard, everybody could do it. I, I like that attitude. At least that's what I felt from her. This is a good story that to me, doesn't this sound, I, I want you to picture Dave Hickey and Ray Anderson in your mind. She's asked this question of how do you relate with the student athletes? What do you do? What, what can the student athlete be prepared for with you as the athletic director and i want you to listen to what she says but while she's talking about how she relates to the student athlete i want you to wonder whether or not this sounds like a ray anderson or a dave hickey it's the best part of what i do it is my we talked about it yesterday and uh when i'm having a hard day um Maybe when I'm analyzing the budget, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when I'm having a hard day, uh, I'll go over to the um, to the cafeteria where the student athletes eat the training table, and I just go. They don't know this yet, but I just go and sit down with random teams, and I, I do this like once every two weeks, and I listen to them, and I hear about their their hopes and their dreams, and it's the best part of what we do. I'm in this business because um, 
I know about how the student athlete experience impacts people's lives. Uh, I couldn't fix my brother, um, but I can make sure that every single one of these student athletes have a world-class experience. But that world-class experience, I can't give that to them if I don't listen to them. And I, I love, that's just the best part of what I do. So we do it in a very, um, in an informal way in terms of I go and I, I have lunch with them. Uh, I meet with our SAC and then once a week I have a party of five, or I'm sorry, once a month I have a party of five luncheon, which are academic advisors. I shared this with them yesterday. We get five student athletes from all different teams and we go and we have lunch and there's no agenda, but I always end it with if you are athletic director for the day what's something that you would do so and they also are going to get a bunch of surveys too because I, I need their feedback we got to be on this together thank you for asking <laughs> okay now let's just let's just focus on that for a second she is a student athlete was a student athlete she had a brother who was a student athlete and she's going to be able to explain to any young student athlete it can all end in a heartbeat take your studies seriously look what happened to my brother but she can relate to the parents of that student athlete because her son plays basketball at mizzou and on top of just surprise lunches with people she's going to eat lunch once a month with five students from different teams and then ask them the question what would you do if you're athletic director because i can't give you a world-class experience if i don't listen to what your needs are i'm sorry i don't see dave hickey do it i mean he can tell oh, yeah i ate with students from time to time do you really see any no do you really see ray anderson well quite frankly in this new model that we've got going and he adds all of these layers between him and the student athlete get real home run u of a boy dr crow do you look dumb right now you look really bad at your job um uh, tell us about your experience uh reed francois as a, as a student athlete I was a walk-on rower, um, not terribly coordinated, just work really hard. <laughs> and and I, um, I'm actually really excited about triathlon here. Like we were just talking to the triathlon coach yesterday and uh, kind of want to do an Ironman. But, um, <laughs> but that might require a lot of coordination and I haven't looked at the bye week and it's going to take me more than like nine months to get ready. So I got a lot of work to do, so I'm, I'm not like <laughs> calling my shot yet. But uh, athletic ever since I was three years old and played my first soccer match. Um, athletics has been a huge part of my life. I wouldn't be sitting here in this chair if it, athletics provided me an opportunity to compete and it was okay. Um, you weren't judged uh, because you were so competitive in a negative way. Um, you weren't told not to, um, you know, not to compete. You were encouraged, and I loved it, and it played to my inner DNA. Uh, but I also wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for higher education. I come from, my dad was an eighth grade English te teacher. My mom was a school secretary. We grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, the importance of education has just been a part of my life like I, I um I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that and so I every day I come to work with a grateful heart that I get to do something so beautiful as to work in college college athletics um, but also be a part of young people's journey I mean they're 18 to 22 and I get to be a part of, of that special moment in time so very grateful to be here and thank you for your question Again, if you don't mind me opening up a little bit, 
one of the struggles I have had all of my life, for good, for better, for worse. And let's face it, I'm not good at handling it. I'm still learning. But some people are born with a competitive fire to the point where it makes you want to throw up at even the thought of losing. I don't really enjoy winning as much as I detest losing to the point where it is just unfathomable and it's it takes every piece of emotional weight to control my emotions when I lose. I hate losing. And to hear her say, I loved sports and athletics because it's where I could compete and it was okay. To me, that's that's just music to my ears. That's somebody that is afflicted with that same disease of competition where you want to win so bad. And what happens is very few, very few people fuel that desire to compete. Most people tell you to calm down. Most people tell you, let other people win. Most people try to tell you, why does every day have to be game seven of the World Series? What they're really saying is, I don't like the fact that I don't win, so you should win less. Hey, that's a you problem. Just because you don't have that competitive fire doesn't mean I have to drop mine. Now, let's be fair with what I'm saying. People like me need to learn to have some class, okay? People like me need to learn, hey, deal with it when you lose, all right? And so I walk away. You don't see how angry I am when I'm losing. I walk away. But that's the way it is. I can't stand losing. I I felt that from her. And that jacks me up. So those of you, that might have been the most arrogant thing you've heard somebody say. You might not like me based on me admitting how competitive I am. But I can tell you, I can see that in her. And if I'm a U of A fan, I'm jacked up about that little thing right there. All right, last one. I loved this one. The whole time she's talking on this one, I want you to think of Dr. Crow and I want you to think of Ray Anderson and how horrific they were at their jobs. And she completely exposes it by saying what she said. She was asked one question. The guy says, I got two questions. Question number one is about the changing role of an athletic director question. And I got a second question. He didn't tell us what the second question is, but I included it. So you'll hear him jump in with the second question about other sports teams in the Big 12 and and at U of A. But the question is, can you talk about over the last three years with NIL, with conference realignment, with everything that's going on in college athletics, how has the role of an athletic director changed? I think the job of the athletic director is is changing almost like every month, right? Well, actually not the job, but the landscape of college athletics is changing almost every month. Um, You have Supreme Court decisions, you have conference changes. I mean, I grew up in the PAC Pac-10, and then it was the Pac-12, and now it's not. Um, So it's ever-changing. And when I talked about what I look for to be able to hire, you look for selfless, smart, hard workers, and you have to be able to pivot, right? You have to be able to be flexible because that... our enterprise is constantly evolving. But it also, that's what makes it kind of exciting too, right? Instead of just looking at it and complaining about, oh gosh, I remember pre-NIL, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? Like actually seize it as an opportunity because it's a great thing and jump on that and use it as a competitive advantage. So how has the athletic director role changed? I mean, we're CEOs of a $140 million company. And so we need to treat the enterprise like that. It's highly regulated, it's, high, it's um, highly scrutinized, 
but it also has an altruistic purpose of higher education, and we need to make sure that we tether, continue to tether athletics to the academy. Okay, and the last one is um, one avenue that you could possibly pursue to cut costs is to maybe reduce the number of sports programs that Arizona has. I believe it's 22, and I think the average in the Big 12 is around 17. Is that something that's on the table for you? No. And I think Coach Candrea had a really good quote. Was it last week? Coach, yeah, last week, and Coach and uh, President Robbins told me about it, and I loved it. I think it, now I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, so I can kick it to you. But what I think that you said was something along the lines that you hope the Big 12 gets up to the University of Arizona standards. Is that something like that? Close. Yeah. All right. Well, I like his answer is way better than mine, <laughs> but it's the same sentiment. So thank you. Okay. The last question. I'm not cutting sports. Everybody else come up to our level. Brilliant. But when I said think of Dr. Crow and Ray Anderson, I want you to listen to the key words she said as an athletic director. With Supreme Court decisions that come around, you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be flexible. You've got to look at it as a challenge that's exciting. You can't be going blah, 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 blah. I remember what it was like pre-NIL. You've got to jump on the challenge and see it as a competitive advantage. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Here is Dr. Crow. Keep in mind. I've told this story millions of times. We are about as divided as a nation as we've ever been since pre-1865, okay? This is about as divided as we've ever been. And yet, a Supreme Court who can't agree on anything voted nine to nothing that the NCAA is full of crap. Nine to, I mean, total unanimous decision. That all of you don't have a clue when you try to claim that you have amateur athletes. You're clue. You are anti-American. They didn't say it, but they basically said the NCAA is a communist society that's anti-American. You've got to change. And the person that had the biggest problem with it was Dr. Crow. And Dr. Crow wanted to talk about how we're not going to go down that path. We're not going to look at the NILs. We're going to do student athletes the way it's supposed to be done. He basically was violating a Supreme Court mandate. Now, he has every right because you can take your organization out of Division I. You can run it by different standards while everybody else is doing exactly what Desiree Reed Francois said. She's out there saying, hey, It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. I've got to win. This is the new model. Let's go. Dr. Crow with his feet in the cements going, this isn't the way we should handle student athletes. We're not going to get into that space. We're not going to do it's wrong for coaches to make this much money. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Okay, fine. Do it however way you want. And that's why your athletics programs stink, Dr. Crow. Well, she just stepped right on his face with that answer, and it jacked me up. All right, coming up next, we got D-backs to talk about. We got Suns to talk about. We'll talk to Steve McCollum in the main event. We've got versus Vegas to talk about. Still an awful lot left, but hopefully you enjoyed that deep dive, and hopefully somebody in the state government of Arizona can get a hold of these Board of Regents and figure out what we've got going on. 
We've got U of A crushing ASU in football, crushing ASU in basketball, and crushing ASU in hiring an AD. But we've got a president that can't keep the books. And at ASU, you can't find an athletic director. You can't lead. And the president keeps destroying the athletic teams and the entire conference. And yet nobody at the Board of Regents stands up for us. Maybe someday. <laughs> T-backs and Sons next. This is Doug Brown's Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're we are now. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. I know you were just as concerned about it as I was, but we came back last night at home, beat Kent, sixth straight win at the Convo, and moved up to the four seed, which is a buy in the MAC tournament. I, I know that you were wondering about that when you woke up. Go Bobcats. It was a, it was a nice win yesterday. A little bit more on my trip to uh, spring training uh, yesterday. Got to see... Uh, Brandon Fott and Joe Mantiply pitch uh, live BP for the first time this year. Uh, Mantiply, I could tell he's kind of working on something. I, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, so I don't know what he's working on. But you could tell he's working on something. That's, he's a major piece. How do I put that? He should be a major piece. All-star, fantastic the first year he got here for four months. And then has really been either average or below average since. So that's a huge thing. So I don't know what he's working on. I'll try to find out uh, that information for you. Fought looked great. Uh, Christian Walker's a little out of head. He was, I, I don't know if he cares my opinion. I thought he was on his front foot a little bit too much. Uh, Cattell Marte looked really good left-handed, didn't look good right-handed. Uh, but Grant, it's day one. It was day one of live BP. I, okay, I, I realize that, but I just want to tell you what I saw. And then um, one thing uh, Mike Hazen went into, which is kind of interesting, is he gave a little bit of detail a day or two ago. I think this is Monday on the sanding, uh, signing of, of Randall Grich. <laughs> signing? It's spelled Grichuk. And I've never known, the, uh, I've heard people say Grichik, and I never knew if that was right. So now I know officially it's right. You say Grichik. So as I'm looking at his name, Grichuk, and I'm telling myself, say Grichik, say Grichik, I couldn't say the word signing. <laughs> but anyway, here's why they signed Randall Grichik. 
you know, we're, we're looking every way possible to continue to shore up um, our roster. And, you know, we felt like the way we, we like like him as a baseball player, first and foremost, overall, he, he going out there in the outfield and his ability to hit lefties for us um, gives us more, Tory more options to deploy uh, his roster on a nightly basis. I think it also strengthens the the entirety of our 26-man roster, specifically our 13-man position player roster, which will probably be for most nights. Um, and you know, it's something that as you, I think, as you continue to improve and the expectations of being better, that um, you know, I think shoring up areas where there could be gaps for us um, is something to continue to for us to explore. I had a nice conversation with uh, with Mike yesterday. It was it's kind of funny. I'm kind of an energetic dude, so he is not. So I I come up to him, you know, all the time. In in the I don't know four years, five years he's been here. So Mike, hey hey, how are you? And, he, and he'll always go good, Doug. Good, you know, like that. As he, he complete opposite from an energy standpoint. But it was really nice. He asked me how I'm doing. Asked me how the podcast is doing, and I thought that was pretty cool of him to uh, to care. I mean, maybe he was just making small talk, but I thought that was good. We talked about his boys for a little bit, and then I didn't talk much baseball with him because he's always in a mode of focused and I, I and it was unscheduled so I don't want to be in his way but then I got jealous because he walked over to a certain area to watch BP and then Nick Pecoro was already standing there and those two got into a long conversation and then I admit I was totally jealous because now you can't be a the member of the media that bum rushes a private conversation but I was jealous I wasn't there with Nick and have and have Hayes come over and talk ball with us because uh I talked to uh uh, Nick Pecoro very, very briefly after the presser with Tori Lovello yesterday and just said, hey, you know, how was that conversation? And he just kind of nodded. I was like, oh, okay. I wish I was a part of that one. Um, one of my big opinions going into spring training, if the Diamondbacks were still average, and maybe they are just an average team that had a hot playoff. We'll see what happens this year. But they're doing something with Jordan Lawler. Mike Hazen has specifically said, I want Lawler to get at bats. But they've also hinted he's probably going to make the team. I, I want to tell you, what I would like to see is I would like to see Perdomo move to second, Lawler be your shortstop, and Marte be your designated hitter. And he's a switch hitting DH that then also, I'm not going to say backup, but he's also in the rotation at second base. So some days you give Lawler a break and move Perdomo to short. Some days you move uh, you you move Perdomo out of the lineup and maybe against a tough lefty and you have Marte at second, something like that. That's what I would like. Now that's before the Jock Peterson signing. That's before the Gritchick signing. It doesn't work as much now. That's what I would like to have seen if they're still an average team. If they're above average, if they're really what we think they are based on the beginning of the season and based on the postseason, irrelevant in the middle of the season, if they are that, then I like forcing Jordan Lawler to earn his at-bats. Then I like telling Jordan, hey, we know how good you're going to be. We know you would be on the major league team with a lot of other teams, but guess what? That's not us. We're not all the other major league teams. You've got to fight in order to get that spot. It's not going to be handed to you, so go to Reno and get it. I love that if that's truly who we are, but I think they're making a mistake if we're not. 
I'm not judging them because how do I know whether this is a good team or not? When I say good, I mean win 90 games, go into the playoffs hot, and then continue that streak. But hey, if we get to the World Series every year while stinking in August and September, fine. You know, it's it is about the postseason. Uh, let's move to Suns, and uh, this is really an interesting debate. I think you know pieces of it, but in case you, it's a little old, but I got thoughts on it. And I haven't had a chance to get to it. Here is Charles Barkley talking about the issues of the Phoenix Suns as he sees it going forward, specifically Kevin Durant's leadership skills. He wanted to be KD, but he's not doing it. To me, it's got to be Booker. He's got to be your, your mental leader and your vocal leader to a certain degree. No disrespect to Kevin. Kevin's a follower. He's not a leader. He's proven that on all his stops. Booker's a hell of a player also. I think he's going to have to take the initiative and take this on team to the next level because, man, Kevin's a hell of a player. I ain't never going to say anything bad about him, but I say the same thing with Boston. One of you guys has to step forward. He has to step forward. And for me, for Phoenix to be successful, it has to be Booker. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Well, instead of me telling you what I think, here's what Kevin Durant thinks. Izzy uh, found this on Kevin Durant's podcast, and I think this is kind of interesting as he addresses whether or not he's a leader. Why do you think people in the media think you're not a good leader? I'm not as charismatic as my peers. I don't have a personality that's like fit for TV. And a lot of those stories of what we talk about don't get spoken about in the media. You gotta sell what you're doing as well. And I haven't sold it enough. I don't feel like I need to. I don't feel like I want people to call me a leader, but I also don't want people to say I'm not one either because they don't see what goes on behind the scenes or what I talk about or my intentions or the relationships that I built with my teammates and support staff but when guys like that say that I just got to chalk it up to them just not being aware push a narrative for myself expose the truth or how great of a leader I am I don't feel like it's necessary I just chalk it up to those guys not being aware of who I am you're happy people think like they're like why KD not happy why is KD yeah look so miserable it's tough where I'm unhappy that's just human nature we don't play well as a team I'm not I'm not happy it may not last for a long time but I'm not happy for a good four or five hours is when I call you after a bad game. Like, once you accept that we have normal human emotions and reactions, of course my life is good. Of course I can't complain about anything. But in the moment some shit happens, I'm not going to fake. Like, I'm not upset about it because I'm living such a great life. No, I want this to work out. And sometimes you being upset helps you figure out a problem. So sometimes me not liking what's going on is going to help me get to a solution better, you know? But that doesn't mean my life overall is unhappy. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't. I hope you don't look at me as getting painted with yellow stripes, being in the middle of the road. I can see totally both points of view. Maybe Kevin was immature while he was at Oklahoma City, and I think we all have to learn to grow. Remember, he was a freshman at Texas, and that was it. Went to Seattle. I think he was only in Seattle for a year. I might be wrong, and he was there for two years, and then he's in Oklahoma City. He clearly struggled in a leadership role because Russell Westbrook needed to stop shooting. Somebody on that team needed to explain, we've got Kevin Durant. Quit trying to prove yourself equal to Kevin Durant. You're not. And 
KD, instead of being a leader and stepping up and saying, this is how we're going to run this team, basically went through the, the, the motions and then as soon as he could, jumped, in my opinion, to Golden State. He has every right to do it. But if we're judging him as a leader, you weren't able to get Russell Westbrook to be a follower. And that's what it means to be a leader. Then when he went to Golden State, I think he really loved not needing to lead because that was already an established championship team. Now he goes to Brooklyn, has another chance to lead, and fails. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to ever lead with a James Harden, okay? I I want to say that. I'm not saying that was easy, but that's what you chose when you took that. When you take the money and you take the position as the number one piece of a franchise, leadership is forced upon you whether you want it or not. So in the two times leadership was forced upon him, he did fail. And that needs to be said. And that's why I like what Chuck said. At the same time, I can understand KD does lead quietly. He leads by example. He talks to guys one-on-one. He's there at the gym as the first guy in and then doesn't tell us in the media all the things he does as a leader. I can understand that. I think they're both right. I think Charles is right to say it. I do think Kevin Durant has to realize you might have won more championships if you would have been a better leader. But I don't like the idea of just saying, boom, he's a straight follower. I, that, that's, that's a little bit too much for me. I think KD leads, but he's not the number one leader on a team. Uh, Steve McCollum joining us. He's getting ready for the main event, which is going to start in about 20 minutes. Uh, Steve, what do you think about it? This is an older topic, but with I went too long on a couple interviews this week, and I never really got to it. <laughs> well, uh, so now I'm getting to it. What do you think of, of Barkley versus KD? Yeah, I think it, it cracks me up how Charles Barkley acts like he was the most mature human being when he first got into the league. I mean, it's, it's amazing <laughs> how when you get older, you go, oh, look at the young kid. You're like, yeah, I was yeah. never. Yeah, you were probably worse, right? <laughs> Uh, and I, I, it's a stupid narrative to have, to be honest with you. It's just, uh, it's just bloviating. I, and here's the thing. Now, one area, and not against what you said, because I think you're exactly right. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but <laughs> not, not that you needed my validation, but one area where people have going are going after Chuck is they say, oh, because of all the championships that you led your yeah, teams to. Yeah. And I think that's a crock because people that say that, truly refused to accept just how incredible yeah. Michael Jordan was. When yeah. you were playing in that era, there weren't a lot of championships that were available, mm-hmm. and he, along with Reggie Miller once with the Pacers, came the closest of anybody that when Michael wasn't playing baseball to knock Michael off. Yeah, And so, yeah. so he deserves credit for that. But then, but then they ran into a, a red-hot Houston team, right? Yeah. On yeah. top of it. But no, that's where, it's, always, it's funny how when you have these conversations, this is my problem with, with talking to people, period. Uh, when you have, when you want to have these discussions, is somebody will change the goalpost on you? It's like, what does championships have to do with that conversation? You're just they're just trying to attack somebody for the other side instead of the substance of the talk. Yeah, yeah. And the substance of the talk is just basically, you know, there's always for some reason, especially in the NBA, you see it in football a little bit, maturity levels of players, and uh, you know, and to expect an 18 year old kid to come out of college and have all the answers right, is, right. is an absolute uh, joke. And I think we do this a lot in our country well we do a lot of things that we'd like to change in our country but but one of them is we often shoot the messenger and 
we don't look at it and say, okay, is the messenger right? We may not like the guy. We might think the guy's a hypocrite, but are we just looking straight at the message and looking at Charles message? I think he's nails when saying uh, KD needs to be, be a better leader. I would only slightly disagree when he just point blank says he's a follower i i think he's a leader he's just the number two guy he's uh, never proven to be good enough as a leader to be the number one but, guy but there's eli manning leading and then there's exactly. you know uh, tom brady leading yes uh, yes and we're about to have this argument because eli manning is up for the hall of fame next year yes what eli manning leadership worked folks he, he beat the best team on the planet twice in the Super Bowl when nobody else could do it. Yep. But then what's happened? We we knock him because he's not a Tom Brady leader. Yeah. So it just comes down to that where it's better or, or you know, it's, it's, you know, and watch how many personal attacks are going to happen to Eli, right? On, yeah. on top of this. Because that's how you attack people nowadays is you can't talk, like you said, this, uh, I'd rather stick to the substance side, uh, you know, and that, that goes for you listeners out there too that message me uh, negatively. <laughs> uh, I just want to say. Keep, keep, yes, I'm fat. Yes, I'm bald. Doesn't mean my opinions are wrong. I, I have no problem if <laughs> Somebody tries to say Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer as long as they will answer this question first. If his last name wasn't Manning, mm-hmm. how would you judge him? I think yeah. so many people judge him compared to Peyton. Absolutely. And then therefore they say you don't have the yards of Peyton. You don't have the the leadership the way Peyton ran the huddle, blah, blah, blah. So therefore you weren't good yeah. enough. Wow. You, you if anybody else has those stats. <laughs> yeah. If anybody else has those stats. If anybody else handled New York yeah. like you do. If anybody else other than a Manning did it. I think they waltz into the Hall of Fame. I think I think Eli Manning's problem is like you could be too far on the side, like a Cam Newton, where you're too far on the uh, you know aggressive side. Yeah. And then the other problem is when you're too far on that other side, like Eli Manning was, where he's a Great true point. leader. Everybody follows him. Uh, he commands the huddle. He does everything properly, but he's not that guy that stands out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like his brother did. So, and it's the same thing with basketball, right? I mean, uh, Kevin Durant's a quiet guy, at least outside. He's quiet. He's He's not flashy. He's not in your face a lot of times. Uh, but behind the scenes, I'll bet you that he walks in that locker room. And I bet you people pay attention yeah. uh, when Kevin Durant walks in. And then he gets knocked for it because guys like Charles Barkley yeah. and people that want that style want you to be more vocal. And who says which one works just because you like it that way? Like Draymond. I've never seen a quiet guy win. Eh, shut up. <laughs> that's, a, that's good. What's coming up on the main event? Uh, look, we got, uh, you know, college football playoff format was approved. Yeah. Which is they're kind of sticking it to the independents a little bit uh, out there. Um, we're gonna, we have a big debate here. Golf, right? I know uh, people are going to go, oh, you're going to talk golf. No, 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 no. Golf has an antiquated rule where if you don't sign your card right, you get DQ. That happened to Jordan Spieth over yep, the weekend. Yep. Is it time we start looking with this live golf and the changes happening in golf? They're not changing rules like that. They're changing formats. So I'm kind of curious uh, with Dale being a huge golf guy, what he thinks on that. Uh, and then, man, is there anything better than Major League Baseball starting, Doug? And we have to talk about the crappy uniforms. <laughs> That's that is somebody did screw that up. Don't you test this stuff out? Don't, I don't you see I, prototypes? I agree. I agree totally. Don't you put people in them? I saw a picture yesterday where, dude, you could see the tucked-in shirt through the pants. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, yeah. That's just dumb. We don't need to be I'm seeing that. On baseball players already grab themselves too much. We don't need to see. <laughs> we don't need to see what they're grabbing on top of it. Uh, you know what I mean? Going to your your point about independence. Here, I'm actually a lot of people. People have that opinion. Let me see if I change yours. 
if you don't know what Steve's referring to, the top four conference champions get seeded one through four. So there you go. That means Notre Dame technically could be the number one team in the country and still have to play an extra game in the playoff. Because they would be the five seed. Yep. Here's why that doesn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. Because they don't have to play in a conference championship game. So Mm -hmm. therefore, they're still playing 13 games to earn the right to make it to the top four, in a sense. Don't they? And play, so are the other teams. Don't, aren't they eligible for the ACC championship game, though? They were in COVID, but they're not, not normally. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, well, first of all, I don't have a problem with it. I like that they're sticking it to Notre Dame because uh, those guys suck. They're not good, <laughs> and they get they get propped up way too much, right? Uh, so I'm okay with it. But um, you know, this format, I have problems with the format, of course. Okay. And also, we're going to predict the uh, West in the NBA final standings. Kind of do a redo of our initial oh. picks at the beginning of this year because this is going to be a barn burner, folks. Yeah, I, I totally. Agree. Everybody's within what five games, six yeah. games each other yeah. from one to ten so it's gonna be fun uh here on the show today as well and then fubu suing they gotta break up this network you're gonna be paying fifty dollars a month for sports folks wow if espn disney and tnt and these guys go together all right I'll talk to you later nice day i'm so, okay why we didn't go four and oh yesterday i realize that's whining when you have a three-in-one day, just go to the window and say thank you. I get it. But we lose our first game yesterday. We took Florida Panthers minus one and a half against a terrible Ottawa team. Terrible. Florida's winning two to nothing going into the third. This is a win. Let's go. And they completely drop the ball. They check out mentally. Ottawa scores two goals in the third. It's tied up. Now Florida wins in the overtime. Great. The Panthers get the two points. What do we get? We get an L because you guys slacked off. That's a that's a crock. Should have had a 4-0 day. The other games I looked at, I like the New York Rangers on the money line. Okay bet. It kind of stinks they won 3-1, meaning we could have betted on the money line, had much better juice. We were around minus 140 in juice because I wanted the money line because I thought Dallas is really good. I don't want to predict a two-goal win, even though the two-goal win happened. So we got that game right. Um, Nashville came through really well. Beat up Vegas. Vegas came back, and then Nashville held them off. We had Nashville on the money line, and that was positive juice. I, let me cheat for a second. I think it was like as high as positive as plus 170. Let me look at my other notes. Uh, Nashville, uh, no, it wasn't plus 120. Plus 170 is the bet coming up. So, But still, positive juice. We look good on that one. And then... This one was hilarious. Izzy, I don't know. Were you able to find Colorado goal? Were you able to get that up? Okay, here we go. This is awesome. I have Colorado covering the puck line. Minus one and a half. It's Colorado two to one. And now, finally, they pull the goalie. And here we go. Colorado Avalanche, they've got got the puck. They're able to take it in their defensive zone. They get it up with a dangerous cross ice pass. What? Don't don't do this. Oh no! But nobody steals it. And then watch this pathetic block. Not a chance. I don't care. I'm not gonna try to block it at at all. But Lance score the empty netter. We get our three to one win, and we get 
a nice day of, of plus 164 juice. All right. All right. 30 seconds remaining. We get an empty netter. I'm sorry I didn't write down who it was for Vancouver who had that pathetic block attempt. But could you imagine if you've got Vancouver plus the one and a half or if you've got, yeah, if you got Vancouver plus the one and a half, you're going to get this. 30 seconds left, you're going to get it, and then some guy goes, ah, we're going to lose. Here's my cheesy block attempt. What? The guy with the money wasn't going to lose until you wussed out. So, therefore, Colorado gets the uh, puck line. We get the juice. We're happy. So, we end up going 3-1 and one yesterday, improving the record to 113-976-9. And, and it's nice because you get off that schneid. As I felt on a 0-7 uh, schneid out of nowhere, now we've rebounded back and gone 5-1 and one in the last two games. So, feeling a little better. Still no NBA tonight. I didn't like any of the college basketball games tonight, so so I didn't go with them. I've never I don't remember the last time I've I don't think I've ever done this in my life. I am going with Anaheim covering the puck line. Columbus is on the back end of a back-to-back. It's not a huge back-to-back. They didn't fly anywhere. They played the Kings last night. Now they're going over to Orange County. But Anaheim, one of the worst teams you've ever seen at the beginning of the season, they're playing a lot better. CBJ is not good, and Anaheim's not on the back end of a back-to-back, and Anaheim's at home. And here's, here's the real reason why. It's pretty bad negative juice, Anaheim on the money line. But we're getting, it's almost like they're on sale. We're getting plus 170, meaning if you bet $100, you get 170 if Anaheim wins by two. That is great juice. Let's run with it. If you've been gambling with me in 2024, we dominated January. You won a ton of money. February, you've won money, but honestly, it's like. If you bet hundred dollars every, if if your unit was hundred dollars, you've ended up winning about two hundred. That that seven game streak hurt us pretty bad. Uh, but we're bouncing back. That you've made a little bit of money, and then hopefully this will almost double our money with plus one seventy if they can get this win, and they got to win by two. So I'm taking Anaheim on the puck line is uh, the only game that uh, that I like today. I wish I would have had the courage to pick Creighton last night. I liked Creighton um, with the points. Didn't talk about it, though. Never would have had the courage to pick an upset. Never would have had that courage. And and Creighton, man, they hit 10 threes in the first 25 minutes of the game. Just smoked UConn. UConn went on a little bit of a run, got it back to down to nine, and the broadcasters are going crazy. Here come the Huskies. Here come the Huskies. Up, oh, never mind. Just got run over the rest of the way. Crazy game to uh, for the number one team in the country to look that bad. More turnovers than assists, while Creighton had 18 assists and only seven turnovers. Keep an eye on Creighton depending on their draw. They can't handle a banger underneath, but if they play a bunch of three-point shooting teams in the NCAA tournament, you might have Creighton going all the way out to the Final Four. It all depends on the matchups. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll look uh, a little bit at the Coyotes and their game tonight to see if they can end that 10-game winning uh, losing streak. However, if you don't know what's going on, Austin Matthews leads hockey in goals. He's got 49 coming home to play in front of friends and family to be the first goal. Uh, um, 
player this year to get to 50. He's already got a 10-goal lead on the standings. Second place is only a 39. Somehow, don't you feel like Austin Matthews is just going to go off? And there's going to be so many Leaf fans there at the at the game today. This this losing streak probably getting to uh, 11 games. That we'll talk about that game a little bit. Talk a little more spring training information, and then you just heard Steve McCollum talk about the NBA's Western Conference and the fight to the finish. We'll get into that a little bit because Suns Dallas starts things off tomorrow, so that's a, a game to look forward to. So we got a lot to do tomorrow. Do me a favor and try to make it a point to join us. You can watch live at WTSMTV.com. If you're a live member, you can always watch any of our shows on demand if you are a basic member and then you can fit Doug Franz Unplugged, the main event, or iOS on your time when it's easiest for you to be able to watch. So please join us here at WTSMTV.com. I will talk to you tomorrow. Got a, a lot going on and I'm jacked up to have you as a part of it. The main event is up next with Dale Hellestray and Steve McCollum. You deserve this. Dominate your Wednesday today and I'll see you tomorrow.